thanks to our sponsor, Avpoint. If you like the cloud show, you will love the Shift Happens podcast with Microsoft MVP and Regional Director Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation projects. He uncovers the players, organizational hurdles, and last-minute surprises that inevitably arise when ambitious people try to impact their workplace. Season one features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines, and other industry leaders. Go to www.avpoint.com forward slash blog forward slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens. That's one word, hashtag shift happens, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 351. Today, AC and I are going to discuss when the world tips upside down and what it's like working from home. Recorded live during the coronavirus, March 12th, 2020. This episode is brought to you by ShareGate. For those of us familiar with ShareGate, we know they've always been about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now we've all moved to the cloud. Like me, you're probably thinking about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-service environment without worrying about thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere, AKA sprawl. That's why the folks at ShareGate developed ShareGate Apricot, It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group's governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things they create. This super simple to use, in-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users we trust, AKA no more sprawl. Wanna get your hands on ShareGate Apricot? Try it free for 30 days at sharegate.com forward slash cloud show. Back to the show. AC, how's that flu going, buddy? You all right? <coughs> <laughs> I shouldn't joke about that. Man, it, this is, these are crazy times right now, huh? Yeah, you know, you have those moments where you wake up in the morning and you're like, I wonder how bad it is today. Mm. <laughs> Today's one of those days. <laughs> I don't remember a time, I've gone back, try to think about this a couple times, where every day you look at the news and this has been going on for, a, I got about a month now, Every day you look at the news, and really over the last, especially in the United States, over the last two weeks or so, mm. every day it's just a little bit worse. And you're just like, how much worse can it get? And it's like, holy crap. You look at the stock market, and you're like, I'm now immune to these like 1,000 point drops in the stock market. I'm not immune to it, but I'm just kind of like, oh, there it goes again. <laughs> there goes 2% of my net oh, income. Oh, yeah, only 1,000 points today. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really crazy. These are very strange times. And I worry that now that's, or not, I don't worry. I think probably what's happening now is everybody's jumping on the bandwagon and freaking out, right? And um, a lot of it is driven, like there's a lot of rational fear, but there's a lot of irrational fear as well. And it's hard to differentiate the two. I'm going to try not to go off on a rant here because I find myself getting really angry or irrationally angry at looking at what, a lot of people, including a lot of friends, are saying on mm. things like social media, mm. the people like, you know, the hysteria, the overhype, I think it's completely overhype and it's overblown. Like, I don't know, man. I just, I don't, yeah. I can't no, imagine I mean, the sinister things that a lot of people are saying about, oh, you know, you're doing this for political reasons or look at this. Like the NBA has canceled their season. The March Madness has no fans that are going to be there. This is happening. That's happening. Airlines are shutting down operations to certain places and stuff. Gatherings can't be so big. It's like, I can't think that there's some sort of a conspiracy going on 
that people are doing things for political stuff. When you look at someone like San Francisco or Seattle and says no gatherings over this many people, which is effectively yeah. killing conferences that are a huge boost to local economies. I mean, this isn't, yeah. these things aren't done for no, no reason at all. No, no, I totally agree with you. I think I think the measures are, pro- are warranted. It's, but I don't discount people doing it for the right or wrong reasons. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I know like you in and particular, I, I, th- I think the, yeah, anyway. No, I know you're going with that. And I know, I know you're going with that. You were, you're going to say something about politics. And I know. I do think they're warranted. The moves are warranted. Don't get me wrong. Yep. Yeah. The rationality that I was talking about was about like, so Microsoft stock, right? Hmm. Was worth 180 bucks a couple of weeks ago. Now it's like 130 or something, something like that. I can't remember what it is right now. But anyway, that to me seems completely irrational. Because of all companies that are positioned to benefit in a climate like this, Microsoft's at the top of my list. Companies are learning firsthand why cloud computing is super important, right? To enable scenarios about working from home and a distributed distributed workforce and things like that. And that to me is pretty irrational. That suddenly overnight or in the, in the space of a couple of weeks, they're going to have dropped as being a good investment. And I think yeah. it's more a rationality of fear of pulling your money out and, and freaking out more than thinking through and going, what does this really mean for, for Microsoft? Those things, watching the stocks move around like that, I mean, it's hard for, it's really hard for people to come up, you know, what's the reason? Why is Microsoft falling? Why is Twitter mm-hmm. falling? Why is GE falling? Why is Tesla falling? And the thing, I mean, it all depends on which analyst you're going to talk to or which one you listen to. And, you know, agree, those are things that you were just saying that Microsoft is well positioned. So why would their stock be going down? But then there's the flip side. You and I were talking about this beforehand. At a certain point right now, cash is king. And so it's, hey, we mm-hmm. made a lot of money on Microsoft stock. Now's a good time. That's a good place to sell some stuff to get some money back. And yeah, fair I mean, enough. Same, yep. same thing with Tesla. You know, it hit a high of what, 940, 970 or something, and now it's down in the 500s. Mm. There's a certain degree of, of all of this that's just like, there's too many different reasons on why things are, are why things sure. are being impacted like this. And so I don't know, man. It's just, I can't Chaos. remember this amount of time. I mean, with the exception of the financial crisis, there's so much unknown like going forward right now that you just can't plan. You just, I don't know, it's, it's I think scary. that's the key, right? Uncertainty is what, mm-hmm. is what freaks people out. Mm-hmm. And you're right, yeah, they probably just want cash in the bank instead. In times of uncertainty, just it's part have flexibility. Of it. It's part of it. That's the thing. I don't think it's a binary thing. With the stock market, it's never a binary thing. It's not one thing that's going to make everything go great. It's just, mm-hmm. I mean, because you, like, we're talking about this the day after Donald Trump, President of the United States, came on and did an Oval Office speech. And one of the things he said in the speech, I mean, there was a bunch of things that he said, but one of the things he also said was delaying tax day for certain people, which will add 200 billion in liquidity and cash into the, into the economy. That's a good thing, but the stock market's down 1100 points. So it's like, Mm. okay, there's so many different factors in play here. Which one can you Mm. point to? If he didn't say that, would it be down 2000 points again today? Right. Who who knows? (laughs) So many what ifs, right? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Anyway, the world's upside down. Shit's going crazy. Mm -hmm. You want to talk a bit about it? Yeah. Not about this, but let's get into some We've got a couple of news items and then we're going to talk about topic about something we're all struggling with, no doubt, many of our listeners and what's going on in different businesses around the world right now and things as it relates to to all of this craziness going on and, and things like that. So we thought we could dive into what it's like about working from home and you and I have very different perspectives on this or experiences with this, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be, it'll be really interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, let's do it. Well, let's jump into some news first. This episode is sponsored by Raygun. Raygun provides full-stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, a product manager drowning in bug reports, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full-stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com and get up and running within minutes and dramatically improve the online experiences of your users. And now, back to the show. All right, so we have a couple of news items before we want to dive into the main topic of the day. The first one I've got here is about Microsoft's continuing its march of taking down these big botnets. Did you hear about this latest one that, I don't even know how you pronounce it, Neckers? Neckers? Yeah, I'm, Neckers? Not, I'm not sure either. It, this, <laughs> I heard a little bit about it. I didn't, I, didn't get, I didn't read the full details on it. So Microsoft and apparently partners in 35 different countries took down a bunch of domain names that at 6 million unique domains. Yeah, as part of this botnet that malware that gets targeted PC, targets people's PCs, and then sends information, and they encrypt your computer and do all that sort of stuff and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, so part of it, Microsoft is able to lobby to take control of certain domain names and take them offline, I guess, so that when the software tries to phone home and do its thing, it can't operate. And they've made a habit of doing this they made a habit of doing this a number of years, like I guess the last two to three years. We've seen a few of these happen. And uh, anyway, so last week, I think it was saying, uh, they Microsoft obtained a court order to take over the control of these domains that they're talking about that were being hosted in the US in this case. And I guess they worked with partners on doing that same thing in a bunch of other countries. Hmm. So yeah, I don't know. You know, Microsoft doesn't have to do this, but it's better for them not having this stuff in the world because they get targeted a lot with the you know the mal you know the malware that gets deployed obviously hits Windows PCs pretty hard and businesses things like that so you know it's good for their customers so it probably means it's good for them and it's interesting there was something I read related to this news where they were saying that it this would have been near impossible for a country to be able to do this so like if the United States or Germany wanted to they try to take this initiative to shut these things down. It'd be incredibly hard for them to do this because you would have getting other countries to actually play a role in this and be and coordinate and everything. It'd be incredibly hard to do that to build some sort of coalition coalition doing it and doing it privately. Mm. It takes a private organization to be able to do something like this. I mean, I think that Microsoft's got a monopoly on it. I'm sure you know Google has done stuff like this too, and Apple yeah. will be interested in doing it as well. But I mean, Microsoft did it, and so and they've done this before in the past. Not with this. I don't think they've done one at this scale. I mean, millions of domains. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if, and I don't know how they did it, but what if your domain was actually legitimate and it was in that six million? Because you know they didn't look at each individual one. How in the world, what's the remediation of, wait, wait, I was fine. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Interesting. They did an investigation and engineers tracked one single Neckers infected computer, which sent out more than 3.8 million emails to more than 40.6 million victims. Wow. And apparently they, you know, they attach malware as, as attachments and stuff like that. So people click on the attachments and open them up. But they also said these emails were used to sp- spread pump and dumps, stock scams, 
fake pharmaceutical spam, aka erectile dysfunction meds, and Russian bride dating scams. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, man. Goodness gracious. Don't open the attachments. Don't open the attachments. <laughs> never. Never. I actually, oh man, I did that the other day too. I opened up an email, went to it, and like, oh yeah, let me look at that. Oh, yeah, that was a pretty good one. You almost got me on that one. Downloaded it. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, I got a really, really legit looking email from Netflix the other day saying that our credit card had expired and to log into our account. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, they're getting pretty good. Like mm-hmm. it looked, it looked perfect. Apart from I there's got, a link that takes you to a site to log in. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I got one of those too the other day and it was, I can't remember what site it was for, but it said, yeah, your, your credit card is about to expire and your credit card ending in these four digits. Mm. It actually was the last four digits of a card that I just canceled about four, five, six months ago or right. something like there that. There you go. So, so they had it. They had a database of your card number. Yeah, and I'm looking at it like, that looks really legitimate. That's impressive. So, Do you reckon if you just made that up, if you put four digits in there, that many people would realize that it wasn't their card number? No, I don't. This one stands out to me because it was a Amex numbers mm. are, are pretty recognizable. And I remember I have, somebody's going to roll their eyes at me, I'm sure. You may do it. I have three American Express cards, right? I have one personal card for the family. Mm-hmm. I have one for... My company, which so my I have a corporation called I have a corporation, and then my training business is a mm. um, LLC that's wholly owned by the corporation, so it has its own credit card as well for all of its expenses to help keep them separate. Gotcha. So I have three Amexes, one for me, one for two companies, one for each one of the two companies, and all three of them have very similar last mm. four digits, and for the last twelve years, I've frequently made the mistake of which one did I put it on? Oh, uh, yeah. Because they're all t- See, a couple of them are tied to PayPal. And so it's like, like one of them, and I'll say it now because the numbers have all changed, but one of them was 1,000 and one of them was 1,001. And right. actually yeah, two of them was 1,004. Right? Yeah. Like, and it, so yeah, you've got those different Express numbers way. and I'm like, uh, wait, which one am I supposed to use? This is for the business. Yeah. No, this flight's going on personal. Nope, it's cool. And then same thing, Delta's got... Tied to your Amex card. Okay, I've done that. Which mm. one? Ah, oh, shoot. So. Oh, man, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Botnet gets taken down. Yep. Well Botnet done, Microsoft. We have a bit of uh, Microsoft Teams news here. This is like the old news that's new news. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? I didn't realize this hadn't been done yet. Yeah, me too. So Microsoft Teams users will get federation with Skype consumer service starting in late March. And for all of you who th- who, who are thinking, wait a minute, I've heard this before. You're right. This has been a long time coming. <laughs> this was announced. When was this announced? Do we have a date for when that was actually announced? I don't see that in here. It was, oh, since 2017. So three years. They announced its Teams group chat service to replace Skype for business online. Customers have been asking about cutting the cutover deadline. Microsoft said last year, Skype for business is going to be retired. But this is now the consumer service. So it's finally mm-hmm. you're going to be able to, that Microsoft is going to start rolling out federation between Teams group chat and its Skype consumer service late March 2020. It's advising all customers that roll out this feature. It will be completed by the end of April 2020, and it's going to enable Microsoft Teams users to chat and call Skype users via their email address and vice versa. Do you know if this means that me with my Skype for Business or my Microsoft Teams work account, work and school account, can talk to a Skype consumer person? Like, can I, I go? Think is it, I think it I think can, right? 
Yeah, I think that's the idea, that you'll be able to look them up and call them both directions. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, that's my understanding. I mean, yeah, this is super old news, but I guess we all all thought that it had already happened. Yeah, good job. Wait, you're not done yet? You know, it does make me wonder. It makes me think, man, I wonder how much usage of Skype consumer there still is. There must be still a significant amount for them to keep pushing forward with this. But it does make me wonder how much there is. Because, yeah. I mean, I think it might be quite surprising how much there is. It takes a while, a while for people to switch to other stuff. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I used Skype consumer. The only time that I've used it is when there's a, a lot of podcasters use it for recording interviews. A significant number of podcasters still use it for recording interviews. Right. It's the most common way to do it. They're not doing it for the podcasters. <laughs> Yeah, I exactly. believe there's more usage than that. I believe there is. I mean, it's it's surprising, but yeah, you log in every once in a while. When's the last time you used it? It's been a while. I, I can't remember. Yeah, eight months. So the interesting thing is, go log in. Well, I don't know if you want to do this. I logged in the other day for something for an interview I was doing with someone, and I was shocked at how many unread messages from people I know who know that I'm in Slack and Teams. Oh yeah, and look not at that. In. I was shocked. Huh, yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I got, yeah, gosh, they've changed the design again. How about that? All right, let's Everyone. get on to the meat and potatoes. This podcast is brought to you by Nintex. If you could score an extra hour or two back in your day, would you take it? Because our friends over at Nintex want to give you a gift the gift of time. Seriously, if you haven't checked out what Nintex has to offer lately, you definitely should. The platform built on Azure has evolved a lot. In just the past few months, the Nintex team has added new process mapping capabilities and most recently, a new eSign capability called Nintex Sign, powered by Adobe Sign. Nintex also continues to revolutionize products you know and trust, including Nintex Workflow and Forms. With the power of Nintex, it is faster and easier for you to configure, not code, giving you valuable time back every day to sprint it however you want. Test drive the Nintex Process Cloud at nintex.com. And we're back. All right, AC, so we talked a little bit about the virus and it's quite interesting that we, you know, we talk about software and how viral software, how software goes viral. In this case, it is literally going viral. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about how many changes have been in on your side of the country yet around changes to your daily life, but on this side of the country, I've got two kids doing school from home right now, office that's closed, Microsoft campus that's closed. I don't know if it's technically illegal to congregate with more than 250 people, but I'm pretty sure it's ill-advised. <laughs> and the roads are empty. People think toilet paper is going to save them from this virus and they're hoarding. <laughs> like People are fighting in the aisles of Costco. <laughs> it's like you get this virus and then you sort of internally combust into this massive cloud of diarrhea or something. It's just bizarre. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how toilet paper is going to save you, but <laughs> it seems to be the case. Cats marrying dogs. I mean... All hell's breaking loose, right? And, <laughs> and for a lot of people, this is really, you know, it's really, really different. So you're in Seattle, Pacific Northwest, which was really the the hotbed, the first hotbed in the United States for yeah, the yeah. COVID-19. Kirkland in particular. <laughs> Kirkland in particular, yeah. And it's not, I guess it, it hasn't abated yet. A couple of miles from our office. <laughs> yeah. So far, we, I mean, so I'm, in, I'm in Northeast Florida. And in my area, we've only had, I think, 
in the two or three counties, including mine, like around me. So that's like within about an hour's drive of me. I think we have like three or four confirmed cases. Not all of them are residents. I know some of them are people who came to mm. this area. Like one came to this area from New York that was here for the Daytona uh, Bike Week that was going on. And he was he contracted when he was up in New York. But anyway, I'm not seeing those kind of impacts. I mean, other than the stuff, the limited supplies of things on the store shelves, hand sanitizer, soap, which have you ever wondered, like all the soap and hand sanitizer is gone. Like what were you guys doing before? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like start living healthy now. Good one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But we're not seeing a bunch of changes. It may change for me. I'm supposed to go. I was going to go to the um, IndyCar race this weekend, the opening weekend of um, the IndyCar season down in St. Petersburg, Florida. And mm-hmm. I'm getting texts while we're talking here that there's a pretty good chance we're not leaving today because it looks like they just canceled all the general admission tickets, but it looks like they may be canceling the entire race. So that would be the first direct Mm. impact to me. Gotcha. But yeah, we're not seeing as much down here in Southeast Florida just yet, but it sure seems like every day you wake up, it's just a matter of time before it's a big, before it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, no, definitely. So I've just been really interested in watching how businesses and organizations and things react to the sort of new reality that they're currently in. Mm-hmm. And like, we're really lucky that we work in technology. We're often dealing with reasonably good tools and things like that for being able to remotely work with people or meet with people and things. But there are a bunch of organizations that are just not set up like that. And obviously they're, they're having to madly scramble to figure out how to continue to operate. And then you think about schools, right? So our kids got told one day that the next day at school would be all about learning to use online tools in the case that school was going to be cancelled in the future, and then the day after that it got cancelled. <laughs> so it's, they're doing that. I mean, they're they're telling for our county that spring break starts tomorrow. It starts is all next week. Oh, there you go. They're telling all the the local schools that you should make sure that these different community things, like what is it called, um, Schoology? Oh, what is the other one? Schoology is like Facebook, but for mm. education. Mm. There's like one or two other ones, but they're like, make sure all of the stuff is current and updated and all of your stuff is correct because while you're on spring break, there's a chance that schools may not reopen. So like gotcha. to me, I posted something on Facebook about it. I've had it this morning. So I posted something on Facebook the other day, which is starting to impose my self-isolation and quarantine from all the MDs, infectious disease experts, and medical professionals who have appeared out of nowhere <laughs> on social media. Yeah, I'm sure experts. One of my yeah. favorite quotes in the world is so applicable right now. And it's, I apologize for my language, but I'm quoting what somebody else said. Opinions are just like assholes. Just because you've got one doesn't mean the rest of us have to see it. <laughs> it is by far one of my most favorite quotes ever. And right yeah. now, like, I'm, I'm just like, I can't take what Brilliant. Yeah. So but, I guess you and I have come from pretty different worlds about working from home, right? Like, I've worked in an office for mm. years and years, and you've worked in an office, but your office is at home for mm. years and years. And, um, yeah, we've got pretty, I guess we come from quite different worlds in that regard. Mm. I mean, I worked, I did the small business and then corporate gig for a while. And then I think it was 2003 or 2004. Four, something like that, is when I left the corporate world, went back to small business, but I was working remote for a company in Minneapolis out of Florida. And so I was working from home. Mm. I've I've been exclusively working from home then, I guess, for the last, geez, 15 plus years. I couldn't imagine going back to the office. Mm. But it's been interesting the last couple of days watching different companies shutting down and saying, stay home, work from home, and watching people's reaction to stuff. It's been funny watching a lot of people from Microsoft 
like ranting and raving about stuff on Twitter. I think some of us look at it and go like, God, if I had to go to the office, my productivity, if I had to go work in an office, my productivity would absolutely plummet. Where it seems like what the only thing that's, it, the inverse of ha- has happened with Microsoft where Xbox used to just skyrocketed. So it's like, I'm not seeing, <laughs> it's a joke. I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. But, I, I, I honestly feel like because I'm not used to it, mm-hmm. I think working from home is detrimental to my productivity. But mm-hmm. that's probably a hump that I'd have to get through, right? Learning how to work from home, I think is probably the hump that I'd have to get through. There's a couple of pieces to it. There's part, there's a learning for you, but there's the, I think the more significant part is the learning from the rest of your family. Right, my right. my extended family doesn't get it. Like my parents don't get it. They kind of think that I'm always just hanging out at home and I'm working when I just have some free time. So they'll mm. like, I'm stopping by your house to do this. I'm like, I can't answer the door. My office mm. is away from the front door. I'm in a video call. I literally can't get up and go to the door and answer the door. It just it ain't going to happen. Yeah, It's more that, you know, when you are making the rest of the people that are in your house, making sure that they're aware of just because I'm home doesn't mean it's like a Saturday or a Sunday. Right. Just because I'm home, I may be working. So you have to figure out how do you set up boundaries, not only boundaries for yourself, but boundaries for for the rest of your family. I've done some stuff over the years. I did something, a significant thing about 10, 15, about 10 years ago that has made a, a world of difference for me for working from home and the rest of my family. I'm happy to, to share my tips and, and tricks on what yeah. I end up doing. There's going to be a degree of this of what you can do in the short term. Mm-hmm. And there's what you can do like long-term. And the biggest long-term thing for me, and I, I won't focus on that because I think that probably the majority of people that are at, that are in, interesting about interested about this are people that are doing this in a short term, or at least we all hope it's we a short-term thing. We think it might be a short-term thing. <laughs> yeah. The big thing is you carve out a spot that is away from everything else that is your office. And so like for us, when we bought the house that we bought back in 2008, we were specifically looking for a house that had a nice configuration where a room would be away from the rest of everything else. And so it technically is the game room, but it is the farthest for a, a non-ranch style house, for more of a box style house, two-story house, it is the most inaccessible room in the entire house. I can go up to the office and I can shut the doors and the rest of my family, even company, can all interact and move around and not mm. bother me a bit. The other big thing too is that you want to make sure that you need to make your environment very much, and this is something you can do in the short term, you need to make your environment as very much business and not as much comfortable. And when I say comfortable, I don't mean like sit in a hard chair. It's make it to where you don't have everything accessible to you. Like I have a TV in my office, but the remotes are literally away from, are over by the TV and I I can see it, but I've got to get up from my desk and go walk over there to go grab stuff. It's not as convenient to grab it. I don't have a coffee machine in my office. I don't have a, a water filter in my office for that kind of stuff. You want to make it to where things are not easily accessible to you. Some people I, I see in their office are going, yeah, I have an Xbox in my office. I'm going, well, that's just stupid. Mm-hmm. You need to do, and for Temptations. our Temptations. Yeah. And, for, and what, I mean, what we did, and part of the long-term thing, and I'll, I'll transition off the long-term thing in a second, but one of the things that we did is that when we found the house, a couple of years later, we remodeled the office. It looks and feels completely different from the rest of the house. The colors are different. The furniture is different. Mm. Even the pad, the, most of our house is all like hard floors. The office isn't, it actually, it even has carpet, but it even has a thicker pad. So when Mm. you go into the office, it feels totally different. Gotcha. It does not work with the rest of the house and and that's the intention. So there's like a delineation almost Mm. when you're you're in the business zone or the Mm -hmm. not business zone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like your house, right? Like when you're in your house, first, when you go into the office, 
from where you're sitting right now at home in your home office, it is a completely yeah. different feel from when you're sitting in the office and office. Totally. Work, right? Yes. And it, part of that's a mentality. The other part of it too is some people, I did this for a little bit and found I didn't have to, but some people, the way that they dress, even though you're working yep. from home, force yourself to get up and get a shower in the morning, right? Yep. Don't just go straight and sit at the desk and just keep working like, oh, I haven't had a shower in three days. Like, do you do that in the office? No, but then you need to get in the mentality of it. So I, for a little bit, I was wearing khakis, like I was going business casual into work right. before right. jeans were as, as acceptable. I don't have to do that anymore, but I generally don't wear, like still wear my pajamas when I'm yeah. when I'm there. Yeah, it's that mental shift, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like it really mental is. mental zone and delineation between the two worlds. And then you have to be disciplined about, you have to be very disciplined about yourself. You have to, you know, don't let yourself, like carve out time. If you are a social media person, carve out time to go look at social media, carve out time to go look at the news. Mm. Don't just say, I'm just going to check this really quick. I mean, it's some people even go as far as to put blockers on their browsers to not allow it to open up Facebook or Twitter or Reddit or something like that during certain hours. Some people remove apps from their phone. I actually, I don't like doing removing apps from my phone because I use that as like when I leave, when I leave my office, to go use the restroom right. or when I go to, when I go downstairs, to go have lunch. That's my opportunity to go look at those things. And so during the day, I limit myself from looking at Facebook or Twitter or Reddit or whatever during the day, but I have it on my phone and that's how I can go and on my iPad. And that's how I can mm. go look at those things when I'm not, when I'm not at my desk. Yeah. For me, it's been relatively straightforward. Like the company I work for is um, pretty distributed mm-hmm. already, right? We've got like 19 different offices and in all sorts of different countries. And so there's definitely that underlying, all the existing underlying, I guess, culture, for want of a better word, or, yeah, meeting culture, dealing with people remote is pretty normal, all of that sort of stuff. And so me transitioning to working from home has been relatively easy in that regard. Mm. I think probably the biggest thing is the, for me, is I think working as a team in one place is really, really productive. Mm-hmm. And just even small impediments to being able to swivel around and ask a question is productivity sucking, working in a bigger team. And so I've definitely noticed some of that. But that said, like technically, you know, I can do all the same things I could do at the office I could do at home, no problem. You know, when you have to collaborate with people, that does make it tricky. That is a hard thing. And it's something that, from my perspective too, I'm also self-employed. So I have my own business. I don't really have employees. Those that I do hire are they're all, everybody's like a contractor. And so I don't have mm. to really interact too much. And it's more like I task you out, go do this work, come back, yep. you get paid. It's pretty straightforward. But when you would have mm. to collaborate with somebody, you know, that like can, brainstorming at a whiteboard with, with your team or with, yeah. with somebody else you're working with and things like that. I mean, I sound like I'm an old grandfather like that, but that's what I don't understand about people that are like, or companies that are not purely distributed or work from home, but maybe a, a hybrid sort of mix. Mm-hmm. I find that really hard to believe that they're getting the most out of their combined effort without at least spending some time together. I agree. And if you are sounding like the old fart, then I'm going to join you and we can both bitch at the cloud. <laughs> but I have a hard time with that too. And in fact, you and I, when we were when we were looking at doing a startup years ago, that um, Curb, you and I even met halfway in Chicago. From You flew from Seattle to Chicago. Right. I flew up from Florida to Chicago. And we just sat in a hotel room for, I think it was 24 or 48 hours. Yeah. And we're planning out what we're going to end up doing, which we planned it out and then we ended up not doing it. But regardless, I think there's a... But it was like a good sort of combination of all being in the same spot and doing that. So it's like, how do you replicate 
to a certain degree, how do you get them the closest to that when you can't? One of the nice things about, so one of the things that's kind of a benefit with this, or there's a couple different sides of it. So you could see it as it's, it's harder to sit down and collaborate with somebody when you're working from remote. I personally, I have a very hard time with that. I have a hard time. I think that video calls have done a, a much better job of that because it keeps me from mm. getting distracted. Like sitting here looking at you at the podcast, that makes a big deal to me because I know that I can't start pacing around my office or I can't go do something else that I know I need to do that I can yeah. do while we're talking and get distracted. I can't go answer the front door for UPS, right? That's a good thing. I think that one of the things that is nice, that is nice about working from home, that when I need to collaborate with someone to get some stuff done, is going to find a place where we can both meet to get that done. Mm. Like you and I did, like I use conferences for that as well. I'll go to a conference a day early or two days early and sit down with people that are at the conference of things that we need to work through. We'll plan it out and we'll do that. Or we'll carve out time, you know, for dinner or something at time at the conference to get it done. One of the nice things about doing that is you now know that you have a finite amount of time to get something done. And so you're much more focused, both of you are, to get the stuff done at that time. When you're in the office... You don't have that finite time. Mm, that's a good and point. so you do have this more open-ended thing. And so you could argue that while it may be harder to collaborate, it's more when you do collaborate, it's much more deliberate. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I've tried to say this a couple of times. I'm not sure how else I can really say it, but it is very much a you've got to figure out what works for you. You sure. absolutely have to figure out what works for you. And it's, you know, some people talk there, there's another aspect to it too that we haven't even talked about. There's a social aspect, mm. not social media, but when you work from home, you're away from everybody yeah. and you don't get that interaction. Sure. For me, I like that. I'm more productive that way. I, I don't like that water cooler office chit chat stuff. It doesn't work for me. It keeps me less productive, but you can't just be a hermit, right? I've seen what it's done to me. I've seen what it's done to other people where you turn to be much more brash and what you say, your filters come off because you can hide mm. behind the keyboard. And it's not a deliberate thing that I've done, but I've noticed that it's a lot easier for me to say, to have thoughts and tell me, like, tell you what I think about your political views. It's easier for me to text that or to put that in social media than mm. it is for me to say that to your face. Of right? course. Yeah. And I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I think I'm not, everybody's the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, but when you work from home, it's easier for that, for you to slide into yeah, that. Yeah. Gotcha. I've had to be much more cognizant of that. And, I used to be much more sharing my opinions on things. And now I'm just like, you know what? That quote that I, I mentioned earlier, it was very, I was very hypocritical because I would share my opinions. And I don't need to. That's very, that's, that's, that's a great deal of self-awareness. Oh, I do. I, I totally recognize I, I did. I mean, I was very much like that with politics. I mean, we've known each other for a while. I mean, you see, I've shut down. I don't engage at yeah, no, all I, about I politics anymore. That. That's, yeah, for sure. Actually, I think quite a few people have actually over the last couple of years, maybe more than a couple of years. I mean, there's still certainly, certainly the carnage that goes on, but mm. I've definitely noticed quite a few people that that used to be quite open and talk about a lot of things like that on social media have have withdrawn from that, you know, for similar reasons, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Hey, so Microsoft came out with some guidance around teams and commitment to helping customers during this time and things that I thought I'd reference that we'll, we'll have links in the show notes. But there's one about business for businesses and individuals. And in particular, it's interesting because, you know, during this time, you need access to tools, right? So tools to be able to get your job done. And lots of companies haven't set a lot of this stuff up with working from home in mind, right? They've 
they expect people to go into the office and be able to call each other with a desk phone and, and meet at the water cooler and all that sort of stuff. So Microsoft has just sort of put out some guidance around reiterating that, hey, there are free plans for teams, for individuals, if you want to sign up and have the ability to do, you know, video calls and things that way. There's obviously Skype for business, uh, sorry, Skype consumer as well. They've, you know, reiterated that anybody with Office 3, any business with an Office 365 plan already has teams included. So here's how to get set up and all that sort of stuff. And then they also came out with a post that said about for education. So mm. one thing that really blew my mind when our kids went to online teaching from home was how fast they were able to pull it off. I mean, they went, in the space of two days, they went from being in the classroom to being at home doing it. And they use a combination of Google Classroom and Zoom. Mm. I thought that's what I saw on Facebook. Or, or when your daughter was having to raise her hand, I was like, that looks like Zoom. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because my son's in middle school, my daughter's in elementary, and they use different tools, which is pretty interesting. So huh. it's, it's a combination, like different schools have different tools, but Google Classroom has been pretty consistent. And I was actually really impressed, like for getting assignments, seeing what your schedule is for the day, getting your assignments through Google Classroom, interacting like in chat about those assignments as well with the teacher and with, with other students and submitting submitting assignments and, and getting commentary and things from the teacher. And then they have online live periods, right? So they've cut the, they cut the day up into different segments mm-hmm. and they'll have live online video calls for certain, at the beginning of each of those periods, I think. Mm-hmm. And then they go do, you know, their assignments or their work offline and then submit them and things. That's interesting. When your feet are to the fire, you don't really have a choice to do stuff, do, do things in a certain way. And so yeah. you didn't have a choice. You had to figure it out pretty damn fast. The virus wasn't going to take a break. The thing that what's going to be interesting to me is with all of this that seemingly has gone off pretty well with mm. education going virtual. I wonder what the long-term effects are going to be from this. Like, I wonder what the mm. long-term, I wonder how viable this is really going to be. We have, in Florida, we have FLVS, um, Florida Virtual School. Mm. And it's a, my son's used it for doing his driver's education. There's a, like a health kind of a thing that kids have to go through. He did it during the summer. He uses a tutor. We use a site called, a company called Varsity Tutors, which is unbelievably fantastic. Mm. And it's 100% virtual as well. And it's mm-hmm. and seeing how effective it is. But to see if they have to go virtual, I'm really curious to see what is the school district going to do? Is it a way to deal with overcrowding? Is it, I mean, right. it, what kind of an impact is that going to have on the really, families? That's a really interesting point. Yeah. I'm really curious to see how what the what the long-lasting impacts of this whole thing is. I mean, there's, there's going to be, mm-hmm. we're in an urgent, like critical time right now where we got to deal with the issue at hand and let's get through it. Yeah. But, we're going to learn a lot from this and a lot of companies are going to go under, but I wonder how many companies are going to be founded based off this. And like, you may have some really fantastic startups that come out of this whole thing. Sure. Yeah. I would be shocked if you didn't. Often people come up with some of the most clever solutions to things in times of uh, desperation or need or um, under pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Under yeah. Pressure. I, you know, so I think tools like Zoom and, and Slack and Teams, I wonder I've got some friends who are on the Teams team and I texted one of them the other day and I said, how's the mad scramble to add servers going? Because <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine the, I can imagine the increase in usage just skyrocketing, right? Mm-hmm. And 
you know, as flexible as the cloud is, it's still just somebody else's server, right? I, <laughs> so, I would love to see like an engineering blog talking about like what is the spike been like and between different, all of them, all of them do it. I can't wait to see. Yeah. What, I'd love to see if they would share that kind of stuff. Yeah, it'd be fascinating. And with the virtual learning stuff that my kids are doing with Zoom, they're doing it all on the Zoom free plan, for example, right? So the school district, I don't think pays for Zoom, they're doing it all with Zoom's free free version. Hmm. I mean, you get up to, what is it, like 100 participants or something? But the, limit, the meeting time is limited to 40 minutes or something like that. I think there's a couple of little limits like that in the Zoom free plan. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're doing it on the free plan. So anyway, it's pretty interesting. Or maybe, maybe they've just bought them for teachers. I don't know. It's interesting. Anyway, the usage must be just absolutely going ballistic right now. And it makes me wonder how they're handling the use and whether it's all going well or not. <laughs> There's a certain event that I'm, well, at the moment I'm, I'm supposed to be involved in. I don't know. I personally may back out of it. But they were, there was an email that went around to a few of the people who were involved in it and said, if we have to do this thing virtually, what would you recommend? This is not a shot at all against Teams, but I found it very interesting that the people that were responding, there wasn't like a second thought about it. It was like, Go Zoom. It just it's simple. It works. It's simple. It's easy to use. Go Zoom. Hmm. And I mean, it's a that's a testament for what they've done. I mean, I think that they could really benefit from this, getting a lot of really good exposure right now. So it'll be curious to see kind of where this goes. I, sure. I wonder what the teams teams families like the employees, their families who have kids at home who are using Google Classroom and how they Zoom. feel. I wonder if they're sitting there like. Are they, are they are they just incredibly agitated? Are they observing it? Like going, how are they doing this? How can we make this better? I mean, I mean there's got to be hundreds of those conversations going on, right? Because, uh, you know, in Washington State where Microsoft is based, there's lots of Microsofties whose kids are at home right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And their parents are at home, right, with uh, Microsoft's campus closed. So, yeah. Mm. Anyway, very interesting Interesting indeed. And we will maybe revisit this topic as we see this thing through. Yeah. But how about we move on to some picks? Sounds good to me. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, AC, what do you got for us this week? I like the look of this. <laughs> It's freaking me out somewhat, though. I feel a little bit mixed about this, actually. I do, too, but I just thought it was funny, so I'm going to go I'll throw it out there. Okay, yeah, it's a good one. So I need you to put on your geriatric hat and think way, way back. I've got my geriatric pants on. Does that count? Yep, totally <laughs> was. Oh, so you're in pajamas this morning. I got you. Okay, cool. So... <laughs> <laughs> when I said geriatric pants, I don't mean like, you know, adult diapers. I mean... <laughs> That's what I saw. <laughs> so, do you remember Silverlight? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I loved Silverlight. I really yes. like Silverlight. Well, someone or a group of people have created a community project called Open Silver that is a modern plug-in-free open source re-implementation of Silverlight. And it's they're doing it using WebAssembly and Mono so that now it brings back the power of C-sharp, XAML, and .NET to client-side development. And oh, guess what? You're even using a Zap. Oh, sorry, you can, sorry, no, no. You can even take a Silverlight Zap and send huh. them to this. And they're like, we have people who are consultants who can actually help you They'll map this over. So if you've got old, shonky old Silverlight apps, you've got mm -hmm. a, you can give them a new breath of life. Yeah, do you, do you, who is that? What product was that that does that? Is it? 
SSIS or was it, it was a SQL Server product that used, that was Silverlight or was it the, their business intelligence component that they had for a while? I don't know if it's still around or if it's gone. There was a Silverlight thing, but you know, you look at it. I mean, they say right now it's not terribly performant because there's a, like today in WebAssembly, you don't have. (laughs) Was it ever? Oh yeah. Oh, did you? I built a ton of Silverlight, a bunch of Silverlight stuff. It was really, I thought it was really performant. Really? I mean, I did, yeah. Okay. But the, well, not in an iPad. The, didn't work at all in an iPad. Or anything other than IE. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like today, WebAssembly doesn't have, or Mono for WebAssembly, whatever it is, it doesn't have a head of time compilation. So that's oh, yeah. causing a bit of, it, there's like a, the first time you load a component, it takes a long time. But after yeah, it that, it's. Shit. It's, it's like fairly snappy. So, gotcha. I mean, it's amazing you can do this. It is cool it's, you can do this. I mean, I vividly remember writing Silverlight apps. I love, I don't know if I still do. I still have strong feelings for XAML and C Sharp. Mm. Like, I quite like building UIs in XAML. That's what, what my trips for Windows Phone was and for Big Windows. was. It was all in XAML, and I really, I really got into it and liked it because it, it just using a good MVVM framework and things like that. It was a decent experience, I thought. Mm-hmm. And um, the tools were really good. I kind of have a sweet spot for XAML. It's interesting to see people are trying to give this thing a lease on life. Do you know, here's an interesting tidbit. There was a moment in time when I was on the SharePoint engineering team where we were seriously considering replacing the entire front end of SharePoint in Silverlight. <laughs> and it was going to be... I remember this discussion. An API and a front end that was separate, right? And the API you could call from anything and all that good stuff, but the front end was just going to be one version of the front end and it was going to be built in Silverlight. I mean, it was a long time ago, don't get me wrong. But uh, we're kind of getting back there now with Teams, if you think about it. Like, Teams as an app is not built in Silverlight, but it's a it's an app front end for SharePoint in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. If you think, not for all of SharePoint, obviously, but for pieces of it. And you could think, well, that's built with Electron, with web stuff, but they could have built it in, I don't know, C++ if they wanted. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe it wasn't such a bad idea after all. Just <laughs> To just, not do it? <laughs> no, to do it. I mean, we, my point was we're getting back to that. Native apps are, are, are kind of, I don't know, people are investing in native apps again. I still see comments showing up, people saying, well, SharePoint's just going to be all in WebAssembly. It's going to solve all of our problems. Like, hmm, Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's no silver I, right. bullets like that, though. I, yeah. And Yammer and Teams are going to kill email. Got it. Okay. Go ahead. Move along. <laughs> the one thing I did quite like about the initiative was like the that it would have resulted in a lot better APIs much sooner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it would have. We would have ended up with a much worse UI for a considerable period of time. So I don't know. Would have been a hell of a test happen. case for the API. Sorry? <laughs> would have been a hell of a test case for the new API. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? What you got for us? I've got an article here. It's not a, so much of a, a tool or a thing. It's an article saying Microsoft News, the most underrated Microsoft product. I came across this and I thought it was a really interesting read. So I don't know if you've used Microsoft News, but reading this gave me a new lease on checking it out. So I went and looked at it and it's actually really good. So what Microsoft... The whole point of this article, what Microsoft do really well, is they aggregate news from a bunch of places, but they also remove the paywalls from those places. Mm. So, like, they pay I don't know, the Wall Street Journal, for example, mm. and you can go read Wall Street Journal articles through Microsoft News without having to be a Wall Street Journal subscriber, for example. And they do that for a bunch of them. And so I cracked open the app on iOS the other day and 
I signed up for a bunch of categories and got a bunch of articles, and it's actually a really uh, good way to get access to a bunch of those publications without being a subscriber. And it's got good content publishers that they integrate with. So yeah, they give an example here of a Wall Street Journal article about a article about China exploiting a fleet of US satellites. And uh, the Wall Street Journal article is is paywalled, but the same article on msn.com or through your iOS app, you get the whole thing. I'd never even heard of this app. Yeah. I thought it was only a Windows thing. No, you can get it on iOS and I think you can get it on Android. I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, they they do a big content syndication thing and pay for pay those publishers for the content and stuff. This and if you think cool. about it, like that's an interesting solution to to this problem we've got, where all the content publishers need to be paid more. Mm-hmm. And MSN obviously have other ways to monetize their content. They get to put ads alongside it and all that. But they've struck these deals with the publishers to to keep them happy and to. Um, make money in the process. This is a good find. I wasn't even aware of this. I'm a big fan of the the Apple News app on iOS. Mm. App, well, iOS and on um, Mac OS as well. Mm. Oh and iPad OS. But there's a part of that, though, where you actually have to pay for it. So you'll get to some, you'll, they'll show you the article, and it's like, oh, this is News Plus. I'm like, oh. Yeah, exactly. It's worth giving a shot if you're interested in news, and um, they do a nice job of aggregating it. Installed and will try. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> I like it that you get to pick categories too, you know. Yeah, I like that. You that's one of the things. experience. That's one of the things you can do with Apple News too. So that's a, I don't know if they took that idea from from Microsoft News, but Yeah. Is it cool? Anyway, stay safe, stay isolated. <laughs> Try not to get sick, and we will see you next week in a show of the times. Just since we've been doing this, they have canceled the 5th PGA Golf Major Start first round starts today of the Players Championship here in Jacksonville, Florida, or in Ponte Vedra, which is like we literally my kids swim their competition pool or their practice pool is across the street from TPC Sawgrass, huh. and the news just broke a few minutes ago that they're closing it to fans Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But they're still playing the tournament. Yes, the golfers and the caddies will still be out there, but For that's TV, very basically. few. That's yeah, that's very few people in a huge outdoor yeah. area. Yeah. But that's like thirty or 40,000 people a day that they usually get. Or thir- about twenty five to 30,000 people, I should say. Right. So that's a lot of people that are saying I was going to say, it doesn't make much sense to cancel the whole competition, right? If you could if you could still play and then just broadcast it on TV. Like, <laughs> Tell the NBA that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's interesting. Like, I think the same thing will happen for potentially the soccer, like the MLS mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I don't know if they're still going to play. Possibly. We'll see. Anywho. Crazy times. Stay safe. Yeah, you too, man. Have a good one. Stay safe, stay healthy. (laughs) Trying. Later. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode, as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.